Welcome to the Rock of Ages Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message by Pastor Duke Backus. For more information about this podcast and other resources, visit rockofagesaog.org. I want you to open your Bibles tonight to 1 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 16. And, and we're going to be looking at one verse tonight. Amen? How many of you know that the scripture is so powerful that it's packed full of truth? Amen? It's packed full of, of, of so much goodness that, that, you know, you don't have to go through 100 scriptures even though I have plenty for you. But we're just going to look at this one verse tonight. We're going to just kind of break it down little by little. Amen? 1 Timothy 3.16 says this, Beyond all question, the mystery of godliness is great. It says, he appeared in a body, was vindicated by the Spirit, was seen by angels, and was preached amongst the nations, was believed on in the world, and was taken up in glory. Amen? Let's pray for tonight's word. Holy Spirit, I thank you for your word. I thank you for it, Lord. I just pray, Father, over it tonight, Holy Spirit, that you would speak through me your vessel, Lord, and I trust in Jesus' name, Lord, that every heart would be open, every ear would be listening, Lord, every, every mind, Father, would be ready to receive of your truth, God, because, Lord, it's your word, God. It's from your word that we live, Lord. It's from your word that we find true life, Lord, and so, Father, I pray that we would, Father, step into true life tonight, Lord, through your word. In Jesus' mighty name we pray. Amen. We serve a great God. Amen. We serve a powerful and great God, church. He is so great. He is so awesome. The scripture says it's beyond question. The verse that we just read, it says it's beyond question and without controversy that God is alive and God is well. It's not a, a, a matter of, 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 you know, you know what, we should run a poll. And we should ask everybody what they think about God. No, no, no. The scripture says it's beyond question. It's beyond controversy that the Lord is alive. In other words, it doesn't matter who questions his existence. Can I get an amen tonight? It doesn't matter who is questioning if he is real because he is beyond all question. He is superior, church. He reigns supreme. That is, he is above all. It doesn't matter who is a skeptic because the life of Jesus was proof that God is God. The life of Jesus is proof that God is God, church. And let it be known in our hearts and our lives. Let it be known here this evening today that we serve an awesome God. Can I get an amen tonight? We serve an awesome God, church. That verse goes on to state it, it, it's one of the, to me, one of the greatest verses in Scripture. Because there's, there's, there's a few verses that just kind of sum it up really well. Amen? There's a lot of uh, truth in, 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 in the whole Bible. It's all truth. But there's, there's a few verses that just kind of wrap a bow on it and just package it so well. And so this verse, it's one of those great verses of Scripture. It's a glorious truth of, of the church, that, that truth that all believers would confess Jesus before the world. It is a truth which the church and its believers must never deny, must never neglect, ignore, or question, because it is the only truth that offers hope and salvation. 
It is the only truth that offers hope and salvation for mankind beyond the grave. There's a lot of things that will be offered to you in this world. There's a lot of things that will entice you or tempt you or look like fantastic and good opportunities, but they will offer you nothing outside of this world. If you've ever spoken to somebody that's elderly and, and, you know, maybe in their retirement years, they'll tell you, you know what, don't chase after this and don't chase after that. Don't chase after the money or the careers. Don't chase after all those things. You know what, it's good to work. It's good to have certain things, you know, and certain priorities in life. But what a lot of people can tell you when they get up in age that they made certain mistakes because they only have a short window of time. The scripture says, church, that our life is but a vapor on this earth. It's here today and it's gone tomorrow. In the scope of eternity, we're here for just a fraction of time. Amen? We're here for just a, a minuscule amount of time. This truth, church, is salvation for man beyond the grave. Deny and destroy this truth and all are lost and doomed to death forever. We have to ask ourselves this question, why? Why would we be lost? Why would we be without hope, without Jesus? Because the truth is, is that all man-made and self-proclaimed truths end in the grave. All man-made and self-proclaimed truth ends in the grave. Have you ever heard somebody say that, saying, I know my truth? You ever hear somebody say that, I know my truth? You know, and it's funny to me when, when I hear people say that because, because in themselves they think that they possess something that's, that's absolute. When in reality, it's their perception. When in reality, there could be things about it that, that seem true, but, but the truth is, is that we're fallible. Amen? The truth is, is we, we, we make mistakes. The truth is, is that we think we might know the truth, but guess what? We don't really know the truth because Jeremiah 17 says the heart is deceitful above all things and it's beyond cure. It's my truth. No, it's not. The only truth that this world has ever seen and will ever know is the truth of Jesus Christ. He said, I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life. That's it. He's the way, he's the truth, and the life. That verse goes on to say, the heart is deceitful above all things and beyond cure. Who can understand it? He says, I, the Lord, search the heart and examine the mind to reward each person according to their conduct and according to what their deeds deserve. The Bible says, church, that men perish because they refuse to love the truth. We perish and we, we go into, we spiral into a lifestyle of sin. And sin ultimately, the wages of sin is what? It's death. We will ultimately die and we will ultimately live a Christless eternity if we don't love truth. Amen. If we don't love truth, if we refuse to love the truth, if we refuse to acknowledge the truth giver that is Jesus, then we will live in hell. And some people have the notion of belief that they think that, you know what, beyond this life, well, you know what, whatever happens, happens. No, 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 my friend. I've said it this way before, I'll say it again. There's only two options. Heaven 
and hell? Smoking or non-smoking? Pick your section. Jesus or the ways of Satan? We need Jesus. Amen? We need the Lord. Amen? The truth is, is God's word will never die. God's word is eternal. It is the truth of God's unbelievable love. It's the truth of his story. And it's the great mystery of godliness. That question was asked. We have to ask ourselves, what is the mystery of godliness? Think about it just for a second. What is the mystery of godliness? I hope to answer this question maybe over the next few weeks because there's so many things that we can unpack in this statement alone. But what is the mystery of godliness? This is the only reference to this, uh, you know, uh, uh, reference to it in the Bible and a note of that truth. It is without controversy that the scripture is indisputable, it's undeniable, and it's beyond any question. It is the truth that all genuine believers must confess, and what is being confessed actually happened. Amen? Do you believe that tonight? That what you have confessed, that Jesus Christ lived a sinless life, and he died upon this earth, upon a cross for your sins, and resurrected on the third day, is the truth. It is the absolute truth, and that truth must be confessed from our life, and what is being confessed actually happened. This verse shows us that God has done six wonderful things for men. And tonight I believe that we'll hopefully have time for two of them. And so I want us to look at the word and see what's been revealed to us. We have to take note of this simple fact, church, that it, you know, that it is this. It's not everyone, you know, believes that the word of God is the truth, right? We realize that in our world, not everybody believes that the word is the truth like you and me. Not everybody has come to that revelation of knowing that what this says is true. It is factual. It is alive. And it literally is our, our, our roadmap to life, eternal life through Jesus. Amen? But not everyone has experienced a relationship with Jesus. And so we see in our world, not many believe. But dare I say, church, that somebody in this room has not placed their full belief and their trust in Jesus Christ. Dare I say that there's somebody that is listening to my voice tonight that, that doesn't know Jesus as their personal Lord and Savior, then I pray that through this message to every single ear that is listening and every heart that is listening tonight, you will come to know the truth of who God is. Because I can testify tonight, and I know that many of you will agree with me tonight, that you have tasted and you have seen the goodness of your Lord. Amen. You're great and you're awesome, God. Can you thank him for that tonight? Amen. So I want to note the greatness of our God. What makes Jesus greater than any other idol? Just stop and ponder on that just for a second. What makes Jesus greater than any supposed other gods? What makes Jesus greater, the greatest king or ruler that this world has ever seen? What separates him from Buddha or Muhammad or Joseph Smith or the beliefs of Kabbalah, Scientology, or mysticism? Number one is this. If you're taking notes tonight, I want you to write this down. It's because God was revealed in the flesh. He was revealed in the flesh. Now, some of the other people that I mentioned to you tonight were, were actual people. They walked upon the earth and they lived here. 
But just like the scripture says about David, the Bible says that, that David would, would, would live and he would reign as king, but one day he would die and his body would decay. That's what the scripture says. And so it was the same with any other mortal man. That they would live in this earth, they would pose as a king, as a leader, as a great one, you know, and they would die and their body would return to the dust of the earth. And the scripture tells us that Jesus was revealed in the flesh. It was Billy Graham, the great evangelist, that said this. Jesus Christ is God in human flesh. And the story of his life, his death, and his resurrection is the only good news that the world will ever hear. Isn't that the truth? Amen? So let's read that verse again. 1 Timothy 3.16. Beyond all question, the mystery of godliness is great. He appeared in a body. <laughs> He was made flesh. He appeared in a body. God actually became a man in the person of Jesus Christ. Think about that. How awesome is that to just, you know, it blows my mind that God would live inside of a man that he would send his son. He actually partook of the flesh and blood that you and I are living in. He was born by way of a virgin birth and he walked and he grew and he lived for 33 years in this world. And because of his life on this earth, the Bible says that Jesus Christ identified with man perfectly. He identified with you and me in such a powerful and perfect way. By becoming man, he experienced all the trials and the sufferings of men. Amen? Amen. By becoming one of us, he, he's experienced it. He's gone through the same hardships, the same persecution, the same rejection, the same you know, trials that you have gone through in your life. Jesus himself experienced these things. And he was qualified because he came down to earth. He was qualified and able to save and deliver men through all the trials of their life. You see, it would only be one that was living and walking in our shoes that was qualified to save us from this life that we live in. Amen? God had to send his son. Hebrews chapter 2 and verse 14 says, Since the children have flesh and blood, he too shared in their humanity, so that by his, his death he might destroy him who holds the power of death, that is, the devil. Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 15 says this, So we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who is tempted in every way just as we are and yet was without sin. Aren't you thankful for that tonight? You see, he is a God that is relatable. Amen? That is, he was able to relate with your condition. He was able to relate with the things that you have experienced in this life and this world. He was able to, to you, know, you know, go through the similar things that you have gone through in your life. How many of you have ever been abandoned by somebody, amen? I'm not talking about just like, you know, your parents, you know, forgot you in the aisle at H-E-B. You know, maybe that happened to you. I pray it wasn't a traumatic experience. <laughs> but the scripture says that Jesus' parents actually forgot him too, Amen. They left him behind in the city, man. Imagine Mary and Joseph going, oh, my God, we just lost God. <laughs> we just lost God. Like, man, we're in trouble now. You know, what's he going to do? 
We, we just lost the son of God. You know, like, you know, it's like, you know, we, we as parents, you know, we're responsible with our children's lives. Amen. And God forbid any one of us would lose one of our children. But imagine being Mary and Joseph in that moment. Where is Jesus? Where is the son of God who has come to take away the sins of the world? But think about this with me just for a second. I think at times our minds, we actually dismiss the fact that Jesus was tempted like us. I think sometimes we think, you know, because he was God in the flesh, that it was just an automatic, you know, perfect, perfect life that Jesus was able to live. And that's not true at all. Matthew chapter 4 actually kind of debunks that myth because the truth is, is that we see in Matthew 4, the scripture teaches us, and I'll touch on a few of these verses, it shows the story of, of Jesus having fasted for 40 days in the wilderness, right? And we know this, you know, he had just been baptized in the previous chapter by John the Baptist. And, you know, the voice came from the cloud that said, this is my son and whom I am pleased, you know, listen to him, right? And so the scripture is showing us the life of Jesus. And, and Jesus then goes on a fast after he is baptized in water. And when he finishes his 40-day fast, 40 days is a long time. Amen? Some of you might not fast for 40 minutes, much less 40 days. <laughs> You know, some of you are like, hey, you know, I, I, I can hold back, you know. All right, you know, we, we might still have those pandemic pounds on us, you know. But we see that Jesus comes out of this intense, if you've ever fasted, it's intense. Amen? You know, it's like your awareness of God is just times a million. But also your awareness of sin and Satan and what he wants to do is also heightened as well. So Jesus right now is probably at, you know, his strongest spiritually but his weakest physically. I think we could kind of make that, you know, uh, judgment. And we see that Satan, the first thing that he does is he comes and he was tempted to question his identity in God. The first thing that Satan does, he comes to question his identity in God. He says, if you are the son of God, if you are the son of God, you know, Satan tempts you and I the exact same way. Amen. He says, if you're a child of God, if you're, you know, a son, you're a daughter of God. If you are a young person that has said yes to Jesus, then you wouldn't be struggling with those things and you wouldn't be living life the way that you're living. And so he tempts you the same way to question who we are in Christ or even better who someone else is. Amen. How many of you have ever said, you know, how, well, I won't even say that. How many of you have ever thought that somebody needed to be there for a message? Raise your hand. You know exactly what I'm talking about. Yeah, Pastor Duke was talking about gossip that one Wednesday. And you know what? They should have been here. No, 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 my friend. Don't you dare look at the speck in somebody else's eye when you might have a log in your own. That's what Jesus said, right? So we find out that Jesus here, he's tempted the same way. And he, what is he tempted to do? He's tempted to turn some stones into bread. Seriously, Satan? Seriously? This man has fasted for 40 days. And the first thing you're going to tempt him with is bread. Makes perfect sense, right? I can imagine after 40 days, you're really hungry. And you're going like, man, I want to eat something. He's like, turn some stones into bread. 
Doesn't that sound like an appeasing and a good offer? It sounds like something that, you know what? That's probably the, the right thing that Jesus wants to do. And what does the scripture say? Jesus responded with the word. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. The second thing that we see that he was tempted with was suicide. In Matthew chapter 4, verse 5, it says, The devil took him to the holy city, and he had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you are the Son of God, he said, throw yourself down, for it is written, he will command his angels concerning you, and they will lift you up in, in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. And Jesus answered him. He said, it is also written, do not put the Lord your God to the test. What was he tempting him to do? To challenge God. He was tempting him to test God. Now, how many of you know that Satan quoted scripture? Did you know that? That's Psalm 91, verse 11. But guess what? He didn't quote the whole scripture. And that's exactly what Satan will do. As he will try to deceive, he'll try to edit, he'll try to omit something out of the scripture and take something out and, and, and so that we don't catch it. So that we miss the mark that all of a sudden we say, you know what, that sounds right. Because what's he trying to do? He's trying to mimic the voice of God in your life. He's trying to sound just like God so that all of a sudden we say, you know what, I, I should probably jump off this thing. Because you know what, God would catch me. He tries to twist the scripture to get Jesus to test God. But guess what he does? He partially quotes Psalms 91 verse 11. He, let out, he left out the part that said this, to guard you in all of your ways. Go, you, can, you can go there on your own time, but look at Psalm 91 verse 11. And he left out the part that says to guard you in all of your ways. Do you know that Satan even knows what part to omit? He even knows what part to edit, what part to, to pull out of the scripture. Because if God doesn't guard you, then Satan will win. He knew and he was so crafty and so de deceiving in that moment. He was like, you know what, let me just leave this little part out to see if Jesus falls for it. To see if Jesus is actually going to go through with it. He knows that if you don't know this God who is able to keep you from stumbling. Like it says in Jude. It says he was able to keep you from stumbling and to present you before his glorious presence without fault and with great joy. To the only God our Savior be the glory and majesty and power through Jesus Christ our Lord before all ages both now and forevermore. He knows if he can twist it. If he can manipulate God's word, then somehow he'll have a chance at destroying your life. This is the way the enemy works. This is the way that he works in our life. He knows that if he could do that, he's got just a little chance. He tempted Jesus a third time and he took him to a high mountain. And the scripture says that he showed him the kingdoms of the world and all of their splendor. You know, Satan will make you offers that he cannot fulfill. He will make you offers that he himself cannot fulfill because he doesn't own the world. Therefore, he didn't have the opportunity to actually give it away. But it says here, he takes him up to this high mountain and he says, I'll give you the riches and the power and the authority. And he said, I'll give you all of these things if you would just bow down and worship me. 
In Matthew 4, 10, says Jesus' response. He says, away from me, Satan, for it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. And it says, then the devil left him and the angels came and attended him. Now, I need to pause and take note of what just happened here in the scripture. Because it's in great moments of temptation, church, that the word is always more powerful. Can I get an amen tonight? It's in great moments of temptation that the word is always more powerful. And somebody in here needs to know that when you're under attack from the enemy, the word of God is always greater. It's always greater, church. It is our defense, amen? It is our weapon. It is the one thing that we use to refute and tear down all the things that come against the knowledge of Jesus. It's the word. It is a weapon, church, and it's so powerful. Two things happen here. Jesus said, away from me, Satan. How many of you remember that scripture? Don't you remember the scripture that says this? It says, resist the devil and he will flee from you. Right? We remember that scripture. But right before that, church, it mentions this. It says, submit yourselves to God. You see, sometimes we want to rebuke the devil and we want to say, you know what? Oh, get away from me, Satan. And not today, Satan. And we almost trivialize, you know, the, the acts of Satan in our life and, the, and the, the temptations that he tries to put you through, the things that he tries to do to you. But listen to me carefully. You can't rebuke Satan if you're not submitted to God. I'm going to say it one more time. You can't rebuke Satan if you're not submitted to God. Remember that guy in the book of Acts? He thought he could go out and cast out demons in the name of Jesus. What happened? What happened? The demon jumped right all over that guy. He says, Paul, I know. <laughs> Jesus, I know. But who are you? Who are you? You have no authority over me. And Satan knew, his demons knew, because they always know, because they shudder at the sound of the name of Jesus. And they shudder at the moment a believer that is covered in the blood of Jesus walks into the room, the demons are, all of a sudden they're gonna start jumping and hiding. They're gonna say, I don't want anything to do with that guy. Because they know, amen? They know, but listen, if you're not in submission to God, you have no authority to rebuke Satan. So Jesus didn't just rebuke Satan and he left. He rebuked him and he spoke the word. Amen? And so outside of his word, think about this church, outside of his word, our works aren't enough. We can't just be like, oh, I rebuke you, Satan, and then that's it, poof, he's gone. So Jesus knows the temptation that you're facing, and he's given you the answer key in his word. Amen? He's given you the answer key. It's to know his word. The second thing that we see is that Jesus became man in order to take away the sins of men. This was all part of God sending his son in the flesh. He became man in order to take away the sins of men. I heard it said this way, the son of God became the son of man, so the sons of men could become sons of God. Amen? I love that. I'll say it one more time. The son of God became the son of man. So the sons of men could become sons of God. You see, this is who Christ was. He was revealed to us in the flesh. And he became the only perfect sacrifice to bridge the gap between the sins of men and the holiness of God. 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 21 says this. 
To this you were called because Christ suffered for you. How many of you know that he suffered for your life? It says he suffered for you and he says leaving you an example that you should follow in his footsteps. It goes on to say he committed no sin and no deceit was found in his mouth. It says when they hurled insults at him, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. Verse 24, he himself bore our sins in his body on the tree so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. It says, by his wounds you have been healed. By his wounds you have been healed. First John 3 and 5 says this, but you know that he appeared so that he might take away our sins. And in him is, everybody say it, no sin. In him there is what? There is no sin. This doesn't just mean your past. I think sometimes we think that, you know, the, the, the Lord, you know, when we come to him, it's just about forgiving us of our past. But the truth is, is the blood of Jesus is more than enough for your present and your future as well. Amen? It's more than enough for your past, your present, and your future. But it also means, church, to take away the lifestyle of sin for our present and future. Amen. To take away what? The lifestyle of sin. The scripture says you were dead to sin. The scripture says we were enemies of God. The scripture teaches us that before Jesus and before we received him into our heart, we were bound by sin. The word bound means to be tied up. It means to be captive. It means to be held prisoner. And so the scripture is telling us, it says, do you know that he appeared so that he might take away our sins? It wasn't just a, a, a past thing. It wasn't just like, oh, all the stuff that I did bad in the past. No, it was so that we could live in freedom. So that we can walk in freedom so that we were no longer bound and held by sin. Romans chapter 8 and verse 3. For what the law was powerless to do, because it was weakened by the flesh, God did by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh to be a sin offering. And so he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fully met in us. It says, who do not live according to the flesh, but what? We live according to the spirit. So we also see that Jesus Christ became man in order to destroy him who had the power of death and that is Satan. That is to be victorious over death for mankind. Jesus had to become a man. 1 John chapter 3 and verse 8 says this. He who does what is sinful is of the devil. Want me to read that part one more time? He who does what is sinful is of the devil. Because the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the devil's work. Do you know that you don't have to be bound in sin? You know, there's not a lot of pulpits that will teach you that. In fact, the gospel that people preach today is more about just getting you through. And just, you know, hopefully you feel better when you leave and drop some coins while you're here. And I think that people fail to realize that he died so we could be free. 
so that the things that once held you in bondage, now I don't know what bondage was for you, but the things that once held you in bondage, sins of the mind, sins of the flesh, sins of, of addictions and, and brokenness and, and, and the ability to not forgive, all these things are sins. And all those things that once held you captive, the Bible says that he came to destroy the work of Satan so that you can live from a place of true freedom. I know that there's many religions and belief systems that claim theirs to be the way, but we know of this fact today. The incarnation of Jesus Christ is indisputable and it's undeniable and it's irrefutable. And this is the fact God did come to earth in the person of Christ. John chapter 1 and verse 14 says, The word became flesh, and he made his dwelling amongst us. Amen? It says, We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. I'll stop there just for a second. It says he's full of grace and truth. Truth exposes sin. Amen? It's the truth of the word of God that gets into the places in our lives, in our hearts, in our minds, in our very being that, that exposes sin in our life. Because everything about our heart and our life must be adhered to the word of truth. So when there's something that the word brings up and, and we, we come to that crossroad in our, in our walk with God, that, that the Lord reveals something into our life. Reveals that maybe we have bitterness towards a brother or sister in Christ. Reveals that maybe we have unforgiveness towards, you know, somebody that hurt us in our past. But whatever it is that the word brings to a truth in our life, it exposes it so it can be dealt with. It says here that he is full of grace and truth. So in that moment when the truth is surfaced about our life, that we've got all kinds of stuff that's messed up about us. The grace steps in. The grace of Jesus steps in into that place that says, listen, you don't deserve me. You don't deserve my love. You don't deserve my forgiveness. But I give it to you. I offer it to you. A holy God that would know every part of our being, all of our shortcomings, all of our failures and frailties, that he would what? That he would offer us grace. What is the grace? I love that scripture that says in Isaiah, it says, come now and let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are as red as scarlet, they'll be made as white as snow. Isn't that a beautiful picture of grace? He simply just says, come to me. Come to me that you might find grace. First John chapter 1 says this, That which was, was from the beginning which we have heard, and which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked at, and our hands have touched, this we proclaim concerning the word of life. The life appeared, that is Jesus Christ. It says we have seen it and we testify to it, and we proclaim to you the eternal life which was with the Father also has appeared to us. This is what we believe and this is what we proclaim. Amen. How many of you have seen the greatness of the Lord in your life? That's a fact. 
I've seen the greatness of God in my life. Yes, you can praise him tonight. How many of you have seen the witness of his faithfulness in your life? Some of you have been set free from powerful, powerful things. In fact, that grace shouldn't be messed with, though. Amen? Can you remember just for a second of how far the Lord has brought you from? Oh, man. How far has he brought you from? When I think back, and I ran into some people that I went to school with the other day, and it was really weird to, to see people I haven't seen in 20 years. Uh, they didn't recognize me at first. They're like, I recognize them because I have this thing with faces. I mean, I can remember a face. Like, it's just like it programs into my mind, and I don't know why I can do that, but God's given me the ability to remember faces. And when I saw these individuals, I, I, I realized, I was like, you know what, I used to play tennis with them. And, and so I said, hey, you know, it's me. And they're like looking at me like, I have no idea who you are. And I'm like, it's, it's, it's Duke. And I'm the only Duke in the Valley, I'm pretty sure of that. <laughs> Much less in PSJ North in, in, in uh, early 2000. <laughs> you know, there, I, I can guarantee you there was not another Duke in the school. And they're like, oh my gosh we haven't seen you forever, and, you know, and obviously I look different. I'm losing hair, I'm gaining weight, you know, and I have a lot of hair on my face. The last time they saw me, I was about 140 pounds, and I didn't have a hair on my face at the time, so I'm sure it was kind of a challenge to identify me. But one of the first things that came into my heart when I was seeing them and chatting with them and just talking, they brought up some people and some you know, classes and stuff that we were in together, and I remembered how bad of a representative of Jesus I was. And I thought to myself, you know, I'm not that guy anymore. You might remember me having said things and done stuff and, you know, I was a class clown and, you know, I wasn't always the nicest kid and certainly had a big mouth. I guess I still do. I'm just using it the right way. But I remember one of the things that kind of hit me was when I seen him, I said, man, I hope they don't remember that me. Because they asked me, they said, what do you do now? Uh-oh. <laughs> well, <laughs> I said, I'm actually, you know, a pastor at a church in Far, and I mentioned the name. Oh, I've heard about that church. You know, they told me, and I said, oh, that's cool, that's cool. I've heard about that church. But it brought up that feeling of the past of saying, you know what? The Lord's brought me a long ways. It's brought me a long ways. Really far. And church, we need his grace in our life every single day. But I don't ever want us to forsake his grace and take lightly what he's done for you. I know I say this, you know, because when I think about how far he's brought me, it brings me to tears to think of the endless things the Lord has done in my life to get me to this point? How many times 
I didn't deserve for him to scoop me up, carry me on his shoulders and continue to love me the way that he has. I can guarantee you that I didn't deserve it. But because of his great love, his mercies are new every morning. And I want to encourage somebody tonight. He loves you so much that he gives you more mercy. So that you can think back to those moments of how far you were and how where you're going and where you're trying to get and what he's trying to do in your life. But it should cause us to serve him all the more. Amen? It should cause us to surrender all the more. It should cause us to worship that much louder. It should cause us to, to follow him deeper and to, to want to be more, you know, just, you know, in his presence, greater and greater on a daily basis. It shouldn't cause us to be laxed or, or relaxed or, or somehow feel like, you know what, all right, well, that's it. God's done it. I'm good. No, no, no. It should draw you deeper into his presence. Deeper and deeper into his goodness. Amen. And so I know this, church. I don't know a lot of things, but one thing I do know is that Jesus Christ is the lover of my soul. And Jesus Christ is the lover of your soul. He's real, he's alive, and he's well. And guess what? He is the only hope for this world. Amen? He is the only hope for this world. And we can thank the Lord that he walked and he lived among us and he showed us that great intimate connection that he has with those who would believe in his name. have a couple more minutes. I want to get into this second point. The second thing that we see in the scripture in, in 1 Timothy 3, 16, it says Christ was justified in the spirit. The word actually that's used here, it says he was vindicated. Let's read that. Beyond all question, the mystery of godliness is great. He appeared in a body and he was vindicated by the spirit. That word vindicated means this, to provide justification or defense. It's to protect from attack or encroachment. It's to defend, avenge, to maintain a right to, to set free, and to deliver. That's what the word vindicate means, amen? That is when Christ walked upon the earth, he proclaimed this truth that he was the son of God who had come to the earth to save all who would believe in him. That was the truth that he spoke, amen? But the vast majority of people didn't believe in him. They denied, they ignored, they neglected, they rebuked, they mocked, they questioned, they argued, they even cursed him and many tried to use him in order to get what they wanted. Other people plotted to murder him, but the, the truth was that he was truly the son of God and so therefore the spirit of God vindicated him. That is the spirit of God proved his claims. Like I spoke at the beginning, there's a lot of religions and there's a lot of world systems and beliefs that would say, you know what? Well, we believe that this is true because of this. But I can tell you that there's nothing that is true like Jesus. 
Because the Spirit's vindication was that once Jesus was, was, was taken, he was hung upon that cross and he died, and his body, the Bible says, was buried in a tomb for three days, it was the Spirit of God that proved that he was real and he was alive because he resurrected Jesus from the ground upon the third day. Amen. Jesus didn't just come and say who he was, and he didn't just make claims about himself. God the Father proved it when he pulled him out of the grave. Amen? God the Father proved it when his spirit resurrected Jesus from the dead. He pulled him out of the grave, church. He pulled him out of that one thing that where everybody thought that was it. That is the eternal end of every single man because no man lives forever. That's it. That's where he's going to lie forever. And they put a centurion in front of that tomb and they said, guard that tomb with your life. How many of you know that, I love that song, it says, death couldn't hold him and the grave couldn't stop him. There was nothing, church, that could stop the love of the Father. The Holy Spirit took him up and the Holy Spirit proved once and for all that the claims that Jesus made were true. The Spirit of God did three things. Let's take note of this. He enabled Christ to live a sinless and perfect life. Did you know that when you walk in the Spirit, you too can live in freedom? You too can live in freedom just the way that Jesus did. The one thing that everyone knows is this, is that no man by himself can live a sinless life. If a perfect life could ever be lived, it would have had to have been lived by God himself as a man. And this is the exact point. Christ proved that he was the son of God by living a sinless and perfect life. John 8 and 46 says this, can any of you prove me guilty of sin? This was Jesus talking. He said, can any of you prove me guilty of sin? He says, if I am telling the truth, then why don't you believe me? 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 21 says, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Hebrews chapter 1 and verse 8 says, but about the son, he says, your throne, O God, will last forever and ever and righteousness will be the scepter of your kingdom. You have loved righteousness and hated wickedness. Therefore, God, your God has set you above your companions by anointing you with the oil of joy. Hebrews chapter 7 and verse 26 says, such a high priest meets our needs. Amen. Such a high priest meets our needs. One who is holy, blameless, and pure, and set apart from sinners, and exalted above the heavens. It says the Holy Spirit over all scripture proves and reminds us that Jesus was perfect. He was sinless, and therefore he had the, to be exalted above every other name. Because of his sinless life, he was exalted above every other name. And the Spirit proved that Jesus was God. Because the Spirit of God vindicated Christ by giving him the power to do mighty works of God. We see it all throughout the New Testament. When you read about the life of Jesus, you see his miracle working power. Amen. How many of you have ever received a miracle from Jesus? Amen. You've seen the Lord work in your life in a powerful way. 
And Christ worked so many miraculous works of healing and ministry that the Apostle John could only say this in John chapter 21, verse 25. He says, if every one of them were written down, he's talking about the miraculous. If every one of them were written down, I suppose that even the whole world would not have room enough for the books that would have to be written. That's how glorious he is. That you could make every single person in this world an author. And they could all begin to write about the things that Jesus has done for them. And the things that Jesus has done in their life. And the things that Jesus has done in, in their person, in their body, in their physical being. And guess what? This world couldn't contain all of his wonderful works, amen? All of the powerful things that he was able to do. And so the works of Jesus were very much proof that he was who he claimed to be, and that was the Son of God himself. The scripture talks about a man named Nicodemus in John chapter 3. One night he comes to Christ and he asked him this. He says, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God. He said, for no one could perform the miraculous signs that you are doing if God were not with him. You see, Jesus showed in his life that he wasn't just a, an individual that spoke wise sayings. You remember the scripture asked, Jesus asked you know, the disciples, he says, who do, who, who do men say that I am? And they responded, well, some say you're a prophet. Right? You know, they were kind of making him in the likeness of other men. Some say you're a prophet. Some say that, you know, you're a carpenter. You're the son of, of Mary and Joseph. And it was Peter that uttered those words. He says, I say that you are your Lord. You're it. You're the very solution to all of the world's problems. It's you, Jesus. You're supreme over everything that this world has, over every principality, over every kingdom, over every single ruler, over every single, you know, judge, over every single king. You are supreme. The, th the third thing we see is the Spirit of God vindicated him by raising him from the dead. Men physically killed him, church. They physically beat him. They tore his beard. They pierced his side. And the Bible says that the Spirit of God proved his claim by raising him from the dead. Romans 1 says this, verse 4. And through the Spirit of holiness was declared with power to be the Son of God by his resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord. Acts 2 and 24 says, But God raised him from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death because it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. Oh man, that's such a good truth tonight. Amen. If he is your Lord, then guess what? It's impossible for death to keep its hold on you. Amen. I said, if he's your Lord, it's impossible for death to keep his hold on your life. Only the powerful grip of God can break the hold of death, church. Amen? 
And it was the Spirit of God that raised him from the dead, and it was God himself showing Christ to be Lord. Thanks for listening to the Sermon of the Week. Join us next time for another uplifting message. If you'd like to support this ministry and the reaching out of others, you have the opportunity to give at rockofagesaog.org give.